It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Together again and rolling through all the topics that are part of the cross-section of race and sports. It's great to be back with you, Kirk. We have uh, a tip of the cap to Women's History Month. I think throughout the month of March, we'll be able to dive in on some topic in the world of women's sports. And this week, it's one that it's a WNBA story I did not anticipate. Let's put it that <laughs> right. way. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll have uh, supply and demand versus uh, trying to maintain equity in in that sport. Plus, uh, the Big Ten looking to take some student athletes uh, through a tour of uh, Alabama civil rights sites coming yeah. up. But we're going to start off with a, a college football story uh, that I, I really had to do a deep dive into. Um, it's been some time since the scandal at uh, Baylor. Uh, but it doesn't mean that people are not locked in. Uh, I was the head football coach at Baylor. Uh, when uh, you got to go back to 20, I think it's 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, when on campus, um, there was a sexual assault scandal. Let's just be honest about it. There were a series of football players and general population student athletes uh, that did not go through the same adjudication that would occur for most students when it comes to uh, the claims of sexual assault uh, that occurred. And it was a campus-wide investigation uh, that led to a independent investigation and it eventually found uh, that uh, our brows need to be terminated. And he was let go and he was provided an opportunity at Grambling State University as Hugh Jackson's taken over as head coach to be the offensive coordinator, and that was met with cries of, uh, of, of disappointment and that changes needed to be made. Mm-hmm. And it was decided uh, by the program, by Coach Biles, by Coach Jackson, you, you can ascertain whatever you want from that, <laughs> that uh, he would no longer be the school's offensive coordinator, uh, saying in a statement, uh, Kirk, that uh, he did not want to be a distraction to the football team. Yeah, and, and I think that was probably the best thing that he could have done in this situation, though, Jax. Um, Art Browse is a good football coach. He really is good football coach. But we know that the title of football coach doesn't mean what you do on the field. It's what you do off the field. And what he um, sort of had allowed that culture, that environment, Jax, in, in, at Baylor, um, is one that's unforgiving. Um, it's one that... When you hear his name, that's what comes up. That's part of who he is. Um, you know, sometimes people always say, hey, you deserve a second chance. You know, he deserves a second chance to go out there and coach and do all that. But it, there's too many people who've been affected by uh, what happened at Baylor on his watch, mm-hmm. um, his negligence. Um, I'm happy to see that that school has, I won't call it got, got, got by it, 
Um, but what I am happy is that I've seen uh, a couple of coaches come through there and sort of change um, what that culture looked like. You know, Matt Rule was formerly there. Then after Matt Rule, you had uh, Dave Aranda. Those types of coaches had to come in and clean up what Browse uh, sort of created there. And to me, it's it really hit home of recent when I hear women who still talk about how it affected them. And they weren't even affected with the program. They were just affected of what had happened there, how some women felt like they didn't, they, they couldn't step, they couldn't come to, to, to the Title IX folks, the people at the university. Everything was sort of covered up. And so the, the amount of fear that people live in and, and to see that this person who was kind of overseeing everything, well, it, it definitely didn't, it, it didn't, it didn't sit well with a lot of folks. And so I, I stand up with Doug Williams in this situation here, Jax, just because he said, look, I know this is a, the university that I played for, but this is not how we do business. And I don't care who's coaching the head coach, this person, Art Browse, that's just not what we do. We, we can't accept that where he came from and bring that to our university. We're trying to, we want to bring positive stories. We want to bring light to the HBCUs. And this one is one I thought that definitely brought a negative light to, um, to Grambling State University. It's not uh, one that lasted long. I mean, he was hired, uh, <laughs> what was it, last Thursday. And uh, right. by the time we got to the early part of this week, uh, this has come to a close. So specifically of what you had noted about uh, Doug Williams, who played and, and coached at, at Grambling, uh, he noted plainly, can't support it, and also went as far as to say that the late great Eddie Robinson is turning over right now. I mean, he, he, he put <laughs> he put the he put the gauntlet down. Now, listen, a similar scenario played out uh, when Coach Biles was trying to grab a gig in the Canadian Football League. Yes, um, I think it was Hamilton tried to hire him in August of 2017. And the team had to pull the offer uh, on the same day. And it extended it because of the amount of backlash. This, as you noted, um, was a campus culture that allowed for Coach Bryles and 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 others. Like, we can't just lay this in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to put it all here. Yeah. But as Correct. the head football coach, you are going to get right. that type of attention when it's all good and this type of hell when you're trying to circumvent the safety and care of, of, of fellow students across campus. Um, and it, it's, you know, it's a tough one because coach Jackson, you can tell was looking at this from a football standpoint. Correct. And thought it probably thought enough time had passed. Um, had even on Monday uh, jumped back in and, and put out a statement saying, quote, we will continue to support coach Biles and all victims of assault, violence, social and racial injustices, and will continue to provide equal opportunity for healing for everyone. And sometimes it's, it's timing. And, yeah. and it may seem like six years is enough, not quite six years, but not in this particular case. I mean, there's just certain things that a lot of folks, um, you just, it's no nonsense. Um, it's, it's hard to come back from. Um, I know you're an Ohio guy. and um, I mean, it's a different circumstances, but Jim Trestle 
hasn't been allowed to coach football anymore at Ohio State. And he had far less he had to deal with. Um, I think most notably recently, Jax, um, the hiring of Urban Meyer to the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, before this past football season. He tried to hire a coach in Chris Doyle, who was the strength coach formerly at Iowa. And he was had to step down at Iowa. And everyone kind of raised an eyebrow at, at Urban Meyer of why would you hire Chris Doyle? Now, just sort of the backstory on Chris Doyle was that a lot of players alleged that his treatment of African-American players as a strength and conditioning coach at Iowa was sometimes uncalled for, out of place, out of touch. And that's why he had to walk away from Iowa. And Urban Meyer brought him on staff and very similar to what Hugh Jackson just said with Grambling State is, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, we want to stand by him. And, you know, definitely he's a man of, of, of great, you know, character and football. And, and everybody was like, no, 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 no. You can't make this higher. And no, you can't straddle it. You can't do it. Yeah. Which is what it sounded like. And yeah. Doyle no longer, um, you know, he said, you know what? I don't want to be a distraction. Very similar to Art Browse. I'm going to step down. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a distraction to this football team. I just want to coach. And I get that. But there's just certain things that you cannot allow, you know, and th- there is this fine line too, Jax, because I'm put, I'm, I don't want to put it all on Art Browse and say that, you know, a person can't grow from a situation. A person can't, um, you know, change how you view them. But I think in this situation, because he was a grown adult um, and had the, he was the CEO of Baylor, right? That's why I was like, the CEO is the head coach of the football team, right? He's the CEO of that football program. And I think that his sort of dysfunction, his negligence, his uh, inability to control a situation and allow it to sort of fester and continue and create an environment in one that, you know, is embarrassing that that is going to follow him for the rest of his coaching career. And I think even to go a step further, it's been tough for his son, his son, actually Kendall browse another name out there who's actually coaching and it's been tough for him. Now he is actually coaching, but I know how difficult it has been for him trying to distance himself from his father. You know, he still carry that last name, Jax Bryles. Everybody's like, oh, well, here we go again. But, you know, Art Bryles, this is something that he just, you, you won't be able to shake this. And it brings a negative light to the university. And it's something that I think that his college coaching career uh, is pretty much done. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll keep it in college athletics. The Big Ten is putting together an athlete delegation to tour Alabama civil rights sites in July as part of Social Justice Initiative. Let's find out exactly what they're doing. They're claiming it's a first of its kind. We'll dive in as Forward Progress continues. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Kirk, the Big Ten plans to take a group of athletes from member schools on a summer trip uh, that we're not necessarily used to as it yeah. pertains to uh, uh, college athletics. And, and it, it feels like the right thing. Listen, conferences across the country have uh, 
develop social justice initiatives in the aftermath of everything that happened in Minneapolis surrounding the death of George Floyd back in May of 2020, uh, the Big Ten trip to civil rights sites, uh, they're proclaiming is the first of its kind. So in the middle of July, um, the Big Ten is funding a trip uh, for uh, what the conference called its Big Life Series, a program Mm -hmm. designated to provide real-life education experiences for its athletes. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching this one roll out uh, as the learning and uplifting of, first of all, the knowledge base mm-hmm. of what has transpired for a generation now, let's say on average about three generations away from, uh, from the heels of actual strife and fight on a consistent day-in, day-out basis. Um, for for race relations and uh, so many other points of equality. But I guess it's going to be a delegation of about 100 athletes and administrators that are going on the trip to Selma and Montgomery. Um, the travel party is going to include both members of the coalition and other Big Ten athletes. And right. I, I just want to applaud it because it, it's just education, knowledge, it's going to elevate uh, the discourse and the desire to what you really want to impact as a, as a group and coalition. You know, I, I tip my cap to the big 10. Um, also Kevin Warren, who's actually a listener to our show, by the way. So shout out to Kevin Warren. Commissioner <laughs> Warren, anytime. Come on anytime, back. Through, yeah. I, I, you know, I petitioned him during the college football season. He, uh, his son actually was playing at Michigan state. He was at a game and, and uh, he said, thank you for what you do. And I appreciated that. So gave us a nice little shout out, but this is all so part awesome. of the initiative that, um, you know, obviously after the death of George Floyd, there were a lot of universities in a space of how do they handle moving forward with a lot of race relations, social injustice, things that are happening on each and every campus, not just in the Big Ten, but across universities in general. And so this series, Jax, is something that is getting down to the root of a lot of the unknown for many of this new generation. You know, with each year that comes, it's further distance from where our, our country once was, right? And look, we're getting better. We're still not where we want to be. But, you know, when you talk about some of the um, the, the, the places down south, especially in Alabama, you know what I mean? It's, you know, there's some civil rights places that people need to see and understand what the fight for equality is really all about, what the where this country once was and to see why there's so many underlying undertones that, you know, when the death of George Floyd happened, why it was such an uproar, especially with people of who are older. And now you have the younger generation and we're seeing this. Why is everybody protesting? What's going on? And this is part of it. You have to go back to some of the history behind it. And to give a better understanding. And and I I applaud the Big Ten on this situation. I mean, on this initiative, because it is you talk about real life educational. This is real life going back to a place in which has so much symbolism in terms of the the marches for equality, the social injustice that we see every single day that these young students think about this. Before George Floyd's death, would this have ever been a situation, Jax? Do you think that this coalition would have been made up for 100 athletes to go back and just sit back and just take a look, bring it all in? 
Um, I know in your travels for, for basketball, you get a chance to do some tourism, some sightseeing. And I told you for me during college football season, I always try to look, find something unique, something uh, pretty cool about a city I'm in. And sometimes you kind of hear the history of that place. And I told you about how touching it was for me to go to, uh, you know, Memphis, Tennessee, uh, and, and visit the Dr. King uh, Memorial. And I'm just sitting back and I'm thinking just how that time was and, you know, what, where was our country at? What was our, wh- how were people being treated? And it really hits you differently. You know, it's a lot of time when people say, um, I think we've all met someone who taken that trip to Africa. Said, man, it was life changing. Mm-hmm. Oh man, Kirk, it was life changing. You gotta go. You gotta go. It was life changing. I see the world differently. I understand more. I see where the my heritage comes from. I see where things started from. And so I look at how much I have, but I look at where it once started at, or how little it started with. And so I think this is so that's why I'm I'm so excited about this initiative because I think it brings a lot of knowledge and understanding for a lot of young people that probably would never get this, um, you know, get this opportunity. I think you nailed it perfectly in the sense of when you're on site, how information hits you. It's one thing to just get some knowledge. Right. And as a high school student or a college student, you're taking a, uh, uh, African-American history class or black studies class versus being at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, also adjacent to the Civil Rights Museum, being in D.C. and going to the National Museum on African-American history and culture, um, standing at the foot of the King Memorial, um, going to the Holocaust Museum, even come outside of the African-American experience. These things start to overwhelm you. They get in your pores. You desire more. Listen, this tour is going to be highlighted by a walk across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. All right, we're talking about Bloody Sunday, 1965. These people are marching uh, for for rights that are, we're talking about voting rights. What are we talking about now? Right, same thing. So so it's that type of experience bridges what you're talking about, right? What are we yearning to do? The Big Ten has been good enough to put together this coalition, has representatives from each of the 14 conference schools, uh, but now expanded beyond that. Be able to touch other um, other sports, other student athletes. Let's be honest. There's some programs within every institution. I'm looking at you, men's college basketball. I'm looking at you, football. Um, that proclaim, and in some cases, I'll be kind, rightfully so. The amount of time that is required of its student athletes to prepare for their sport, both in season and out of season football having that, that, that second season, if you will, with, right. with spring ball, that doesn't regularly afford those student athletes the opportunity as they see it. And mm-hmm. sometimes I want to call BS on that um, <laughs> to get out and, and be a part of something like this. So yeah. that's why I'm so glad that that's the, reaching out and having a, a wider net cast to bring in um, these kids, uh, to the bridge experience. Um, I understand they're also going to visit the uh, Montgomery Interpretive Center at Alabama State to learn about the impact students had on the civil rights movement, knowing that you are in that age structure, that space that allows for the elevation. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for 
and, and calling for the Big Ten to make sure that those, oftentimes, it, it, those front-facing student-athletes uh, yeah. to be a part of this as well. Not for the, not for the optics, right. but because they can take that back to their teammates, discuss those experiences, and encourage you know, even some self-exploring as well. Yeah, man, I got, I got a little sidebar for you and just, you know, definitely beautifully put. But, you know, I have a, a kindergartner, a first grader, you know, here at home. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny. We just finished up, you know, um, you know, Black History Month. And, sure. you know, they're learning a lot about some of the things that we're talking about, you know, and to see some of their heroes. Um, you know, my daughter, she's, you know she likes LeBron James. That was one of her heroes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm laughing. I'm saying, Oh my God, what do I got going on here? But yeah, but it, it was funny, Jax. And maybe it's going to hit you as well as it hit me. Uh, when my son looked me in the eye and said, dad, you were born in the 1900s. And I said, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jax, it, it, that hit me like a ton of bricks, man. It, it, right, it's right. and I know he's just being a kid, but it was like that you were born in the 1900s, right? And I'm thinking in my head, like, well, I was born in 82, but you know what? Yeah, I was born in the 1900s, and for a lot of us yeah. folks, yeah, we were born in the 1900s, and we're all still part of this 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 time capsule, right? Of this time that you right. mentioned, March 7, 1965, walking across the Selma Selma Bridge. You know, you mentioned Bloody Sunday. But it's all part of the 1900s. We're all part of that history. And there's a new generation who is just learning this history, a new generation that had no idea what the 1900s. They just know about the 20s, you know, 2020, 2022. You know, they know about pandemics and now uh, uh, a, a war between Ukraine and Russia. But they don't necessarily know what the footprint, uh, what's, you know, started in the mid 1900s. You know what I mean? In 1960s and 65, 60s and 70s. So I, I love the fact that we're talking about this because it'll be a greater appreciation, a greater understanding, and, and a greater sense of knowledge moving forward to educate others and to know what's right and what's wrong, right? And know what's, you know, some of the same things that we're going through back then, we're still going through now. And you understand why there's such a... I think a, a a deep rooted conversation that still continues to need to be had every single day. Also part of that trip, a, a visit to the legacy museum, which provides the history of racial injustice from slavery to mass incarceration. And, and the really, I think poignant part is that is that, that Kevin Warren, who is the, the, the first black commissioner of a power five conference yeah. uh, said that this is not the end. This is not a one-off scenario here (laughs) that the big 10 plans to sponsor similar trips annually, Mm -hmm. each focusing on an aspect of, of social justice. And, and the message is what we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, Our student athletes are incredible students, right? Like, like, like let's nail that down. And, and, and commissioner Warren's allowing for the extension of the learning to move outside of the classroom and said, quote, for individuals to not only see this with their own eyes, but really to feel it. It's it's really special. And, and, and also laying down that he expects the delegation to go back to their campuses and share what they learn. Mm-hmm. 
and, and what it meant to them and, and, and making sure that these ADs and these coaches are creating the space, right? Creating the programming that allows the student athletes to sit down in panel form or to encourage in smaller discussions through um, their student athlete uh, advisory councils to, to really talk about what hit them. Cause it's amazing to watch somebody when they come back from uh, these types of educational <laughs> yeah. experiences, the depth, at which they 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 really dive in beyond just their touring experience. And you want to tell a friend, right? <laughs> you yeah. want to tell a friend, you want to tell somebody else, man, I got to tell you about this trip I went on. And it was so eye-opening. It was so impactful in my life. And uh, maybe it's something that you may want to do in the future. But I, I get that. You know, I understand. Like I said, you know, I've had a couple trips of recent and I said, wow, um, I got to do more of this. I want more of this because this is sort of the forgotten pages of a history book, you know, because again, the information that we're seeking or that they'll go out and seek in this uh, initiative, in this trip, Jax, this isn't being taught in the history books. This isn't being taught online. This isn't being taught in middle school, high school, college. This information is sort of being, now, I won't call it swept under the rug, but definitely ignored. And you can't ignore it. You have to go out and attack it. You got to go out and find it and keep the messaging alive. Keep understanding of what, or ne- never forget where we've come from and what we've had to go through in order to get to where we're at right now and still continue to fight. That's a story we need to track through the summer and uh, hopefully have on Commissioner Warner, one of the member school students that went on this trip to see exactly uh, how they were changed. That happens. Yeah. You're, you, you get changed on these types of scenarios, elevated at the very least. Uh, let's take another break. When we come back, if you got it, most of the time you spend it. Right. <laughs> you're supposed to. In the WNBA, there's some fine prints. That says you can't do that very thing. We'll get inside what that really means as forward progress continues. It's the NBA 75th season, and Sirius XM Radio has you covered. We're looking back at the great history of the NBA as we relive unforgettable moments and talk to iconic players. Scotty Pippen. I know it's a lot of great players in this game. Hear all our exclusive interviews and NBA at 75 specials on the SXM app. Free for most subscribers. Just download and search NBA at 75. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. So, Kirk, this next headline jumped off the page for me earlier this week. I I look forward to discussing it with you Mm -hmm. because the WNBA ended up fining the New York Liberty a league record $500,000 and wanted to do more. We'll get into that in just a little bit for taking chartered flights last season. So now I want to, I want to dig into this whole thing. This might take a second to set up now. Yeah. <laughs> now you might remember the sky and Mercury uh, had some charter dynamics in place during the WNBA finals and the league did it. And I remember hearing about it and going, Man, here we go. I see you, W. Way to come down the avenue, elevating this experience uh, in the sense of, listen, are charter flights essential? No. Do they make life a hell of a lot better? Absolutely. 
and listen to me. Okay. Now I've, I've, I lived that life moving around. And charter um, life is fun. Game brother. Game. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's critical, particularly, you know, yeah. you think about, uh, it's funny. Baseball's one sixty-two, right? Um, and, and maybe not this year. You might not get them all in, but they get to stop and stay right, right. in a city. Whereas with, um, the national basketball association, uh, national hockey league, it's town to town to town. Um, there's some new, there's some nuances to the schedule, uh, in the series model that are trying to combine like, Hey, you go to LA, play the Lakers and the Clippers, you go to New York, play the Nets and, and Knicks, uh, Stop in Orlando and yeah. Miami. You know, it, we'll through Texas, all three Texas towns. The Texas exactly. two step is that what it is? Yeah, yeah well, three. Exactly. But it's a two step yeah. to three cities. Yes, yeah, there we you go. That. Uh, but 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 you know, it it's not cheap. It's it's not cheap at any level, and so um, to have that perk for the sky and the Mercury when the two teams needed to travel to Phoenix to Chicago between the two, between games two and three, I was like, okay, moving in a direction um, that that meets kind of the standard of the modern professional experience um, in sports that, that you know, are bouncing all over the place and, and playing more than once a week. Uh, but the league um, has some unique wording <laughs> as pertains to its CBA. I get it and I don't get it. So let, let's break this down. Yeah. Um, charter flights are banned, banned mm-hmm. by word in the collective bargaining agreement <laughs> in the WNBA in order to maintain competitive balance. Some owners may be willing and able to pay for them, but other owners cannot. Last season, uh, the Psy family, they own the Nets, Nets yeah. uh, but they also own the New York Liberty, um, decided to push the envelope in this space <laughs> and said, we're going to have charter flights anyway. <laughs> so after they were caught, apparently the WNBA is furious. I'm sure other uh, team governors were letting them have it. Uh, <laughs> the penalties, $1 million, mm. substantial loss of draft picks. And it was thrown around because it's an option. Loss of the franchise, termination of the franchise was discussed in this place. Uh, but listen, the Liberty, you know, in conversation, acquiesced. They didn't charter a flight uh, for their first round playoff game. They were anticipating doing that. I think it was a series of road games mm-hmm. they had done. It. They didn't do it all year, uh, but they ended up getting fined uh, $500,000, <laughs> the biggest fine in the history. And listen, the size got it. I understand, yeah. but that's still, that's still, that's a, lot. that's a lot of money. Yeah. So I bands. started, you know, so the deal got cut, you know, with, 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 the, that particular group of governors. And I started to really think about, isn't this just the cost of doing business, the competitive nature? Listen, they have the language to protect one another from one another, I guess is the best way uh, to put it. But man, don't you want governors of teams to, to really shove it all in and, and elevate these franchises and create a platform that, listen, I know it's going to impact free agency, right. but the best thing I could really think about is try, I couldn't really find a professional sport dynamic. There's some teams that lease their planes. There's a few, a handful now that own their own. Um, but I was thinking I, the only thing I could go to was power five versus, you know, group of five, group of yeah. six, 
mm-hmm. versus oh, it's just five. It's a group of five. Yeah. Yeah. Power five, group of five, and then independent, uh-huh. right? Uh, yes. <laughs> Notre Dame. Uh, but anyway, um, not every school charters. No. And it's part of the recruiting dynamic. You know, it's it's the closest thing I could imagine. Like if I go to Alabama, right? Yeah. Or if I go to um, let's pick another school, or I go to Jackson State. Yeah. Right. Now Dion might be putting it down, but prior to Dion's arrival, probably weren't a whole bunch of charters. Right. You know what I mean? A football, you might ante up for it. So let's just say volleyball. You know that that if I'm playing volleyball at USC versus my alma mater at Bowling Green, that there might be one charter a year right. <laughs> for, for that BG squad. Whereas every time the school's pointing up on the other side, uh, that's the part of competition and athletics and recruiting and everything. Now, when you are the premier professional league for women's basketball in North America, uh, you might want to put some rules in space in place to keep, the finances balance. And I under, there's a part of me that understands that. And at the same time, I'm choking on that understanding. And, <laughs> and it's, and I assume I'm not by myself. No, you're not by yourself at all. You're 100% correct. Um, if the, if the means is there, then I think you should do it. But I think you also have to understand too. It's, you know, it is a league thing. Is it a competitive balance? Uh, I think so because one team gets to travel a little bit different than the other. But I say that is, isn't, is all sports like that though? You know what I mean? I think feel like there's always a competitive advantage uh, somewhere. I look at the Dallas Cowboys and how they kind of travel, the attention that they get. It's a little bit more than maybe another franchise in the NFL. Um, You know, I'll just look at the Cincinnati Bengals. They don't have an indoor facility in the state of Ohio. Just let you know that. <laughs> yeah. So they practice outside every day. No indoor facility. Well, everybody else has an indoor. The Miami Dolphins have an indoor facility. <laughs> it's, let's hot. Just put that. it's hot, baby. It's real hot. But, get, them, get them lightning storms. You know, yeah, I'll just put it out there for people that look competitive balance is always around different sports, but this one's a little bit different. And I know I was reading this week um, that there was an agreement. Um, I want to say a settlement, maybe the title nine between um, uh, U.S. Uh, women's soccer. Yeah, and correct. you know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. kind of similar to what we're talking about right now. Um, women want to have that same seat, right? They, they want to have some of the same equal rights because I, we all know that the NBA is chartering every flight. Like, let's just be real. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the yeah. WNBA, it says, hey, why, why can't we have that same privilege? Why isn't that collectively bargained for us? But then also, I understand that the the dollars and cents that goes into it. But if there's a uniformity in, hey, this is what we can do, we got to do half of that. And if some people have the ability to do something different, then I think so be it. Allow them to let them do it. But there has to be a a situation where maybe more uniformity in this rule. Like I said, this is the first I've known of that. I would always think, Jax, that they everyone was flying. You know, uh, in it, that it charter. Me. I, I'll be honest with you. It, yeah, it, see, I it, thought I wasn't the only one. I'm like, not so much that teams weren't, that some were and some weren't. That didn't surprise right. me. Just that it would be written into the doctorate, right? I yeah. mean, like, what's more precious than the CBA, right? Once 
those players were represented, they, they which was not the case for many years right. for the, the, the ladies of the WNBA. But as they formed their union and collectively bargained, uh, it was definitely something that the WNBA Board of Governors put in place to protect themselves financially. Now, here's an, here's an aspect of this story that's the weird part, right? Like the Liberty reportedly made a proposal to have chartered flights be the standard for all teams and claimed to have a path to get the cost comped for three years. For and three the plan years. didn't go through because, yeah, and the plan <laughs> uh, didn't go through because it didn't have majority support. That was or, one or, report. Or, yeah, one report. I heard the other report. I think you go ahead on. Well, there was a statement <laughs> provided to CBS Sports from the WNBA, and I'll quote it, at no point was there a New York Liberty proposal for the WNBA Board of Governors to consider offering three years worth of chartered flights for WNBA teams. It was agreed that the Liberty would explore opportunities regarding charter flights and present it to the board to date that has not happened, In quote. Yeah, I think I heard another rumor. WNBA is still hot. Yeah. They're still I, you I don't usually I... <laughs> usually don't out you know any right. either ownership group or set of governors, um, but yeah, I, listen, I, I get it, and I'm and I'm chewing on it all at the same time. Um, man, elevate this, elevate this, but I'm, I got to leave this at the hands of the players too. They agree to this, like you got to give some, and you got to and you got to get some. But ooh, I would have left some room. Would have left some sort of room. Yeah, I also heard that also, too, is that situation that the, the players may get used to it. <laughs> and I said, wait, what? Get used to flying charter? Like, is that a, a bad yes. thing? Like, yes. it's okay <laughs> to have that. <laughs> um, but, oh, I, you know, it, this has been one thing that, like, you know, for the WNBA, um, you know, there always have been uh, a, a back and forth of how they can – sort of be on a level of the men. And we know how difficult that is, obviously, with the revenues that the men generate. And also, um, you know, with the WNBA, what is that revenue stream? What does that look like? And does it put everybody at a fair advantage? You know, right now, as we're talking, you know, baseball right now can't figure it out. You know, you mentioned it earlier. Major League Baseball is still locked out. They don't have a season right now currently. And it's because of the owners fighting with players and players saying, hey, you guys are generating X amount of dollars, and yet we are still being paid lower while your revenues are going through the roof. Like, what, what's going on here? And so, I don't know if what that dynamic looks like for the WNBA, how much, um, or how what much more can change from this. But I definitely think that this has brought a new light to a lot of these situations. And if I'm an airline or if I'm a, you know, some, I'm definitely going to go out and see how can you can rectify the situation and make sure that these, these, these women are taken care of. Oh, there's an opportunity right now. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, charters, net jets, yeah. all of them get in here, marquee, everybody. Yeah. If there's still highlights, and like I know every, every charter firm, <laughs> right. Um, that you get in there and the partnership is, Correct. is available. I'm assuming that's what the Liberty was looking to expand for the, for the whole league. All told, by the way, the Liberty paid for charter flights for five road games in the second half of the season. And then they might've violated the CBA with this one. There was a trip to Napa Valley over Labor Day weekend for mm-hmm. a team bonding experience, <laughs> which, is oh, a, yeah. which is considered a benefit by the way, uh, for your players. 
And a lot of teams used to do that in the NBA, like when they were flying cross country, stop in Tahoe or stop in uh, Vegas and have, you know, like the team building, team air quoting yeah. for those that can't see me. Yeah, whatever. That's <laughs> <laughs> in there just hanging out, uh, yeah. enjoying the, the lap of luxury of being a profitable NBA team. Uh, but uh, we've seen that those are extra benefits yeah. that should hit you in the cap. And <laughs> that being said, uh, those 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 have minimized. They've kind of just been in place for like the training camps, um, offseason workouts, workouts, and those types of things. But uh, so in the end, it, it was a violation of the rule. And so now the question becomes: what what do you put in place to elevate the entire experience? Now you can go back to February when the WNBA announced a seventy five million dollar capital raise. Uh, from from investors to uh, address, you know, some of the just bottom line issues, just elevating the, the league's ability to to do whatever it takes for its players. And um, it's important that the players know that there is an investment in their league that is taking them to another place. And I'd imagine players feel that rank and file overall, but it's still you know, there's, there's still a lot of room to go when you talk about the next five, 10, 25 years of, of funding and, and where you're going to go as a league. Yeah. I mean, you can still, it's, it's all about being better though, too, though, right? That, how can we be better as a league? How can we utilize the funding that has been given um, for everyone? And, and I get it. Look, I've, I've been on a couple franchises when I was in the NFL that they did things differently than maybe other franchises. They weren't as extravagant with their spending. Um, and so how can we have a bottom line where everybody feels as if we're all a part of it, we're in it together? Because you mentioned it earlier. If I find out that Team X is over there flying private and I'm a free agent and Team X is on my list, oh, I'm going to sign with Team X because I know what I'm going to get. And then what does that do to another team who doesn't have those same um, opportunities for players? So this is at that time, I think, that the WNBA can come together, figure it out. You mentioned partnership. I like that. Finding a corporate partner, airline that, that can help out in this situation um, and figure it all out. This is the WNBA. A little bit different than you mentioned the college, collegiate sports, because we, I know there's some colleges who fly charter. And I'm like, uh, fly, fly private, actually, not even charter. There's one thing to fly charter. I know some schools fly they private. They're on the PJ? They're just stepping <laughs> up on the PJ. Hey, man, I know a couple of basketball programs. They only put in, what, 15, yeah. 20 people on the flight, man. I know how it goes. So, it's going to be different. But like you said, I think it, is, it does create a great opportunity for the WNBA to, to, to sort of fix this as well. This was uh, – the, the headline on this one paused me when you think about the league's general counsel considering termination of franchise as an option <laughs> yeah, for punishment. Crazy. It means that the WNBA does want as much of an even playing field uh, for the accoutrements, because like you said, it, it just, it, it, there must be, and that's the thing that we're not seeing because we don't see the books, a, a true haves and have nots. And, and that's not to negate, that's not to negate the folks that have gotten into this new model. Remember when the WNBA started 25, 30 years ago, it was NBA franchises adding another franchise, right? As a steward of basketball for the promotion and upliftment of women's basketball 
taking on those responsibilities. The model has shifted. There's still a few of those, right? But the vast majority of WNBA franchises are owned by independent ownership groups uh, outside of NBA teams. And if you don't have that, that ATM machine, you know, of retail yeah, that, that and, and food and beverage <laughs> yeah. and yeah. season tickets and marketing <laughs> and, and big old television money mm-hmm. from their regional uh, partner plus Turner plus Disney. Um, you, you do, you do not uh, come to the table with the same stuff and the size uh, have a, if I'm not mistaken, a, a mobile uh, business uh, that operates in Asia at a level that is off the charts. So they, they don't, okay. they don't okay. even need the contribution of their NBA franchise and, and G league <laughs> franchise uh, to just reach out and say, yeah, we have, we have, we have a bit more. We, yeah. we have a bit more. Yeah. We, we have a surplus, right? We got a little surplus that we can use. <laughs> a little extra. Think of how benefits. it must have made. Yeah. I mean, think, imagine that board of governors meeting. Right. And the intensity of, of those individuals that can't do this for their players and how that can be unnerving. Listen, there was a period uh, of rolling, and I think that's probably the next layer yeah. uh, for the WNBA. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure this probably never even got into the collective bargaining agreement <laughs> on the men's side uh, because it, that part of the competition is left open. You know, that that it wasn't a snap of the finger and everybody – had their own jets or were using charter in the NBA there. That's a process of teams committing to the comfort and, and in many cases, the sleep science of their players uh, rather than, you know, getting back to a hotel and getting up at the crack of, you know what, and hopping on a commercial flight is that, you know, we're going to invest in the safety, proper movement and proper care of our players moving from one spot to another. Absolutely. And it's more of, um, you know, everyone being on the same page too, right? It's all about player care, like you mentioned, player care, player safety, but also, you know, like I said, I've I've been used to doing things like that too as well in in my playing career. And I know how much better I played, how much better um, I felt, how much more comfortable I felt. And it was always good, Jax, to have that, uh, I don't know about you, uh, that police tailgate, I mean, that police escort to the game. Oh, man, that was. I don't, I don't we, we, we play too many games. When you play once a week, you can go ahead and get the. Yeah, get you know, that police there. escort to the game, brother. Let me oh, stop man. you. I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop you right there. That's going to do it for us. Man, thank you so much. I know you're on the move this week as all the young folks are showing off. And uh, Indianapolis getting it all squared away, ready for uh, the the NFL draft via combine. So safe travels. Enjoy that. Thank you so much. Once again, getting together to have this fantastic conversation. Appreciate it as always, Jax. Thank you, man. That's Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson. For our producer, Pernell Brown, we'll talk to you next time on Forward Progress.